Jesus. The presence of your Holy Spirit here today. We praise you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love towards us. I really believe there's somebody here this morning, maybe for a few people, for a few of us. But you need to know that God will make a way. God will make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He can open seas. He can lead through a wilderness where there's no road. He can move mountains. He can quench the fiery heat of the flame. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. And that way is going to open up before your eyes. You're in a great place when you don't know the way. You're at a great moment when things ahead seem so confusing and you feel panicked, you feel cornered, you feel pressured. You don't know what's ahead. You're at a great place in life. Because in those moments where it seems completely impossible, God comes along. And just like he said to Jeremiah, he says to you, Behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too difficult for me? And before we can answer the question, he says, Listen. There's nothing. There's nothing too difficult for me. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And you will hear him say, this is the way. Just like he told his people of old, this is the way. Go ahead, walk in it. Walk in it. Thrive in it. Rejoice in it. Be strong in it. He will make a way. Amen. Over to you, God. Over to you, Lord. We place our trust and our faith afresh in you. Irrespective of the reports around us, irrespective of the the storm and the wind and the gale, that causes us to draw all kinds of conclusions about life and circumstances that seem to beset us. We set our eyes again on you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we thank you that you are the God that makes a way 
where there is no way for your people to walk in, for your people to walk on, we give you praise as your people. Holy Spirit, thank you for comforting our hearts. Thank you for coming close and assuring us and strengthening us with your word. We accept it. We believe it. And now we wait expectantly for you to make the way where there is no way. We give you praise as your people. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Come on, let's thank our musicians. Wasn't that fantastic how they led us this morning? Absolutely wonderful. And um, hey, listen, let's thank Paul for ministering last week. God's Word, the gift of desperation. What a great word. What a great word to us. So let's thank God. You know, Paul's an elder in the church. He's been here many years. And I tell you, he's a man of wisdom. Dave Coulter, too, elders in the church here. And um, they are gifts from God to help us in our journey and encourage us in our lives in God. So we truly do thank God for them and we honor them and um, really do. I tell you, it's, it takes a lot of study and, and a lot of, you know, deliberation to really think about God's Word and how to rightly divide it and bring it to you, His precious people. We, do, we don't come up here, I tell you, just with anything. You're blood-bought. There's, there's a great price that has been paid for each and every one of you. And I tell you something now, when I come up here, I tread cautiously. And you know, if I don't, let me tell you, I, God gets on my case. He really does because you are the apple of his eye. And if anybody treats you roughly, if anybody disrespects you or, or treats you in a way or speaks to you in a way, that displeases God. Woe be unto them, I tell you. So we, we tread very carefully. And anybody that comes up here treads carefully, honestly. And, and that, I would say, goes for any pulpit in any church that is rooted in God's life. Pastors tread carefully when they're talking to God's people, and so they should. Your blood bought your blood board. Anybody that stands up here is here to get under you and serve you and wash your feet. You're not here to wash mine. I'm here to wash yours. And it's a great privilege. It's a great honor for Faye and I to be pastors here and to wash your feet. It really is. Amen. What a blessing you are. Hallelujah. Well, today we're going to continue in this series of messages the secret of, of success. And today, really, we're going to be looking at a moment in Abraham's life where God tested his obedience. And as we look at Abraham, we're going to see how his obedience was the fruit and the outcome of his fear of the Lord. God didn't demand that Abraham fear him. God didn't demand that Abraham revere him, but 
his reverence for God was grown over many years of walking with him. Many years went into bringing this heart of reverence, this life of respect and relationship with God in, in Abraham. It involved faith and trust. It involved obedience and heart surrender to God's Word above His desires and above His wants in life. Obedience over what He wanted. Surrender and sacrifice over what He thought best. God enabled him to do this as he faithfully walked in trust, as he faithfully outworked his faith in God's Word. As we look at Abraham today, if we were to plot his life on a piece of graph paper, what we'd see would be amazing high points, peaks of great victory where he heard God's Word and obeyed it and acted on it, we would see many high points on this graph where everything was going well for this great man of faith as he followed God's Word. However, like any life on this graph of Abraham's life, we would also see moments where he plummeted from those great high points of life, descending moments almost, where he's walking on the valley floor, feeling like a failure, where doubt and fear were shaping his decisions and getting him into all kinds of problems and leading him astray, heading in the wrong direction. One of the reasons why I love looking at Abraham is because it shows us an inconsistent pattern of life that resembles ours. But also, in the midst of all of the inconsistent pattern of life, we see a consistent God, a faithful God who honors the covenant that he has made with this man. God is faithful, irrespective of Abraham's unfaithfulness, irrespective of all of the many flaws in Abraham's character. God remains faithful and true to his promise, to his covenant, to this man. He's faithful to us when we are faithless. That's what the Bible says. Aren't you thankful for that? Look back on your life, the graph of your faith. What does it look like? It's got peaks, it's got troughs. It's got peaks, troughs, peaks, troughs. It's an up and down experience. Why? Because we're just flesh and blood and weak in many ways and we stumble and fall. But irrespective of all of the peaks and the troughs, there is a consistency in God. His covenant to you never fails, never falters. Irrespective of when we are faithless, He is faithful, the Bible says, because He cannot deny Himself. What a loving Heavenly Father. 
we have. And Abraham is this wonderful man. This wonderful man of faith that follows God irrespective of what's happening around him and about him. Irrespective of his own failures and inconsistencies, God brings him through every one of them. Now this morning we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 22. And here in this chapter we're going to see a moment in Abraham's life where God tested him. And Abraham may not have known at that particular point that God was testing him. But this is a chapter where God tests this man, where things begin to change greatly in his life. It's a chapter, when you read it, about faith, about absolute trust, about surrender of a man's heart, of about obedience. And it's all an outcome of his reverence and the fear of the Lord that he's learned over many, many years. Right from the beginning of this chapter, we'll see how Abraham in his old age. Now, he's an old man in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 12, when God first spoke to him, he was 75 years of age. But it's believed that 50 years or so has elapsed by the time we get to Genesis 22. Abraham's an old man now, but he's alert. He's alert as an old man of faith. He hears God's voice clearly. It's almost as if when you read this chapter, he's living in waiting expectation to hear God speak to him. And the moment that he hears God speak, he's alert, he's awake, he's ready to do what God wants him to do. Genesis chapter 22, when God speaks to Abraham, God is not trying to wake Abraham up. He's not trying to get him out of a long retirement. No, this guy's awake. This guy is passionate. This guy is full of zeal. In his old age. And it's wonderful. You know, not just to have great young people in our church. We've got great old people in our church. And please, I don't use that phrase disrespectfully. Your gray hair, as I am learning, is your glory, God says. It's your glory. God honors old age, especially when it's alert, especially when it's passionate and when it's ready to do God's will and when it's living in waiting expectation for God to speak. I tell you something now, God never puts the older generation on the ash pile like, or on the ash tip like our world does. No, He elevates every generation. And he loves the faith of his people. That's a great smile there, Diane. Fantastic. Abraham's alert. Abraham's ready and awake. Ready at a moment's notice, 
even as an old man of faith, to make any necessary changes in his life that God would command. His reverence for God has taught him that walking in God's way, doing it God's way, embracing God's way and God's will is the way to go. He's ready to accommodate God's word, whatever that might be. And in this chapter, as we will see in verse 1, we see the posture of his life. It's not sluggish or slow. He's not putting God on hold or sending out an engaged signal. No, God's priority, number one in his life. God calls his name and immediately the resounding response from his heart is this, here I am. Don't miss that. Don't move on from that. Here I am. Oh, the joy in God's heart when he finds a man or a woman, boy or girl, young or old, that when he calls, he hears that resounding response, here I am. Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 says this, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, just called his name once, Abram. And he said, Here I am. Oh, the joy, the intimacy, the connection, the alertness, the response of this man's heart. He's not sleeping. He's not sluggish. He's not apathetic. He's an old man with gray hair, but a man of faith, ready and alert to do God's will in his life. This is the response of a servant slave. You don't arrive here quickly. It takes a long time. It takes many checkered experiences. It takes many valley experiences, many peak experiences to get to a moment like this in life where you can respond to God unreservedly. Here I am. It's the response of a servant slave. A response of reverence to the one who is speaking. You recognize he's transcendent. You recognize he is Lord. You recognize that everything that you have comes from him. And he commands your attention and your life completely. This is the picture, the opening picture that we get as we read Genesis chapter 22 from this opening verse. What Abraham was saying was in this response, I'm ready here and now to do exactly what you tell me to do. I'm here ready to change any plan, to change any intention that I have. Everything ahead of me that I may have planned goes on hold 
here I am, willing, waiting to hear what's next, to do what you want done. I'm ready, surrendered over to your will. His heart was open. But this had been worked over many years. Some 50 years before, God had commanded Abraham to leave Mesopotamia. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 12. And when God had met Abraham in, Gen in Genesis chapter 12 in Mesopotamia, when he was 75 years of age, God had brought him to a similar crisis point, a crossroads moment in his life where his decisions were being tested. God had said to Abraham, Abraham, imagine having this kind of conversation with God on a Monday morning. Abraham, get out of your country. Leave your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. These were the cutting words with promise that changed Abraham's life forever. There was no pleasantries in God's voice. God wasn't pleading with Abraham to obey him or trying to coerce or persuade him. No, there was just a clear cutting command that abruptly came into Abraham's life. He was settled, established in that great city of Mesopotamia. And now God had come, brought him to a crossroads moment. It was a crisis point in his life. And God said, get out of your country. Leave your father's house. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make your name great. Hebrews tells us Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Imagine leaving a great city where your past has been established and where your future is set and everybody around you turns around and says, where are you going, Abraham? And he says, well, I've heard from God and I'm going not knowing where I'm going. It's the life of faith, the life of surrender. But he knew that God would make a way where there seems to be no way. And God did over many, many years. Faith and trust and complete surrender was needed at the outset of his journey and needed throughout his life. And then on from that first moment of separation as he leaves Mesopotamia over the next 50 years ahead, God molds Abraham's character through many, many experiences. He was stripped of his earthly associates that had influence on him. His father, Terah, had died on the other side of the river Euphrates. He had to leave his father, Terah, behind and cross over that great river into that new land of promise that God had told him to go to. Not only did he leave his father behind, he no longer saw his brother, Nahor. 
he had to let go of that family tie. Then he had a long, complicated experience with Lot, his nephew. And there were times of strife and wrangling and all manner of complications in that relationship. And finally, that ended in separation. And then he faced the soul-wrenching decision to put Ishmael, the son that he loved, out of his house. This was the young man that was growing. This was the young man that he had produced, not by faith, but by his flesh, with Hagar, that Egyptian maidservant that he picked up in Egypt. And that was a misguided trip. And he, he through the flesh, produced Ishmael. But he loved Ishmael. And on one occasion when God met him, and told him about the promised son that he and Sarah would have. In God's face, he said, no, I want Ishmael to live before you. I want Ishmael to be blessed. I want Ishmael to be my predecessor, my heir of promise. And God just very simply said, no. You see, we don't only serve a God that says, yes. Sometimes what we think of as great ideas and good ideas are actually bad ideas. And God turns around and says, no. And not long after that, this man that loved his son, Ishmael, that was causing contention in his house, he as a loving father, had to put him out and send him away and no longer see him anymore. These were all of the conflicts and all of the tensions and all of the traumatic experiences that had gone through Abraham's heart. But this is the amazing thing. This man wasn't left bitter by life. You look at his life, and even amidst all of these traumatic experiences and all of this relational wrangling and difficulty, his life was better for it all. Why? Well, I believe Paul answers that question in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, our lives may be a mishmash of experiences that we can't explain. Some great experiences, some high peak moments. But then many moments where we seem as if our life experience is on the darkness of a valley floor. But in the mishmash and the chaos of life, we are not left bitter we are bettered by life because we know that God works all things. He's the one that works all things. The good, the bad, the ugly, the confusing things, the hurtful things, the happy, great things. He works them all together for our good. Why? Because we love Him. God took every moment, every event, every issue in Abraham's life and He worked it together. And all of these painful events had given Abraham 
a surrendered heart, a surrendered will over to God, whereby he revered him, whereby he feared him. So that when God spoke his name, he was able to say with absolute devotion, here I am. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not wandering anymore. I'm not making my own decisions. I'm not turning to the left or to the right. Here I am to do your will. And after that had been established, God tells him exactly what he wants him to do. Verse 2 of Genesis 22 says this, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And that was the end of the conversation. No options to ask why or to discuss another way around what God was saying. Just a cold command that required exact obedience. Seems so harsh. It would throw anybody into confusion. So direct, so cutting. So disturbing. This was a shocking, horrific test that this man was faced with. And it could have easily have ended their relationship. I'm out. What you're asking me to do, I will never do. And I reject. But God had to test this man because he loved him. God, ab God abhorred child sacrifice. But he wanted to see who was Lord of Abraham's life. He wanted to see into the depths of his will and into the depths of his heart as to whether he was completely surrendered, as to whether he revered his word and whether he would obey it. God knew that this command would instantly cause agony in Abraham's soul. As a father, he would be plunged into mental darkness, emotional pain. And God presses home the details. It's your son, your only son, Abraham, the one that you love. Offer him. Reduce the promise that I have given to you in him to ashes, Abraham. Every word that God speaks in his command to Abraham heightens the reason why Abraham should not slay his son. Yet in this unexpected moment, Abraham is ready to obey exactly what God asks him to do. There's no rebuff. There's no response 
from this man. There's no resistance or rebellion in his heart except great surrender and submission. He obeys without objection. Verse 3, we'll read. It says, he rose early in the morning to do what God told him. For Abraham, obedience meant movement. It meant taking action. It meant making a commitment to leave where he was to go where God wanted him to go and to do what God had told him to do. Verse 3 to verse 6, let's read it. It says, Having heard the command of God, having said, here I am, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and the lad and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. This is a picture right here of Abraham promptly obeying God's voice, taking action, obediently, fulfilling, seeking to fulfill the Word of God over his life. They traveled three days to this place that God had led them. This had given Abraham time to think. God doesn't want erratic, impulsive decisions that mean nothing, that fail under the test of time. No, he's not interested in irrational decisions, erratic responses and empty promises. No. He wants to give you time to decide. And he gives this man time to consider, time to make his decision as he moves on out from where he was to go where God had told him to go. See, it's easy to start out impulsively. It's easy to make a decision, and we're all aware of that here. But oh, to keep going steadfastly, pursuing Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's a different thing. And together we continue. Together we are steadfast in our pursuit of what God has called us to do in following Christ Jesus. And this is the picture here of this great man on a three-day journey to obey God. The mountain of Moriah that they were traveling to was 50 miles away from Beersheba, the place that they had left. This wasn't a quick walk in the park. It was a slow, grueling journey full of emotional pain, 
And very often the trials that many of us undergo and the tests that we experience are not simply over in a few hours. No, they can be prolonged experiences where our faith is being tested from all sides. But we find, don't we, a reservoir of faith even amidst all of the emotional pain and the journey through that mire, we find a reservoir of faith that takes us through whereby we can anchor our trust in God. That's the picture here. A time of testing, prolonged testing that this man went through. You know, we live in a culture where people want quick, quick, quick decisions. They want spontaneous, instantaneous choices to be made. But God's not like that. He's not in a rush. He wants to see if we really mean what we say. Gives Abraham time to think, time to reflect. Time to turn around. It's a three-day journey for him to think things over because God is not interested in hasty decisions, empty promises, hasty professions. He wants to see us walk the walk, not just talk the talk. And his reverence for God empowered him to do that. All the years prior to this moment had prepared Abraham for the greatest test of his life. When he stood at the foot of Mount Moriah, he was ready to ascend it with Isaac. And they did. He climbed to the top. He built the altar and he laid his son on it. He tied him to it and was ready to sacrifice him when suddenly God stopped him. God stopped him. You see, God didn't want the sacrifice of Isaac on the altar. He wanted the surrender of Abraham's heart. He wanted the submission of the man that he loved. And Abraham demonstrated that he wouldn't even hold what was most dear to him before God. Verse 12, we read of how the angel stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, commending him for his obedience and his reverence of the Lord. Genesis 22 verse 11 says this, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He didn't say, no, not you again. The same response that he'd responded and given to God three days before this moment is the same heart response that he gives as his, as, as his hand is lifted over Isaac to slay him. And the angel calls his name twice. Now, at a crucial point, a crucial moment, the angel steps in 
calls his name twice. And Abraham says to God, here I am. So focused, so resolute in obeying God is Abraham that his name has to be called twice. Here I am. I'm ready, Lord, even at this moment to change my plans again to do exactly what you want me to do. I'm your servant. I'm not here to express my will. I am here to obey your will. And he didn't even know what God was going to say at this moment. He was still completely surrendered to God's will in his life. But now God stops him because he wants to show him his provision. This test had been designed for Abraham to see that he revered God above everything that he had and everything that he owned. But also it had been designed to end in Abraham seeing God's great provision for his life and the rest of humanity. Verse 12 says this, And the Lord said, Do not lay a hand, do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God had given the wonderful gift of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. And on this day, Abraham had proved to God that the gift of Isaac was not bigger than the God who gave it. Abraham wasn't holding so tightly onto his Isaac that he couldn't let him go. He surrendered him to God because he knew that God would, 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 was able to even bring Isaac from a burning ash pile of sacrifice. He trusted God in everything. Can I ask the musicians to come? We're going to close in just a few moments. All of us in our lives have an Isaac or a number of them. Things that we hold on to, things that have been given to us by God. And sometimes the gift that God gives us becomes bigger than the God who gives it. And there are times, there are occasions, maybe you've already experienced it, or maybe it's ahead of us. There are occasions where God will come to test how tightly we're holding on to those Isaacs in our lives. Something that God has given that's bringing you great pleasure, that's bringing you great joy, but the gift that He's given you has the potential to become bigger than the God that has given it. God leads us on a journey and it's a slow path. Just like Abraham, our father in the faith. And he helps us to relinquish that which we hold. It could be your family, your husband, 
or your wife, your home, wonderful gifts given by God to enjoy, wonderful gifts given by God to fulfill your life, but they must never become bigger than the God who gave them. It could be your money. I've known times and occasions in my life where the gifts of money that God has given me potentially had a hold on me to become bigger than the God who gave them. And then, slowly, he begins to prize your tight hold off those banknotes. I'll say it again. I said this a number of years ago. I remember an occasion where God told me to give an amount of money to a, to a young pastor, a youth pastor. And, um, I mean, it was a considerable amount of money to me because I was a student and I needed money myself. And um, I, I just, you know, had selective hearing. I wasn't like Abraham when God spoke to me saying, Here I am, ready to do your will and your bidding. I'm obedient. I want to just please you. No, I just walked on by, pretended God hadn't heard me. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. And all the time in my heart, you need to give that money. Well, months went by. I didn't give the money. I forgot about it. Thank you, Lord. Far as the east is from the west, I forgot about it. And I cast it off. And then one day, I was, I was in my bedroom, like, you know, like you do. Oh, I love you, Holy Spirit. You're so wonderful. Oh, you've given me so much. Thank you. Thank you for your presence. I love you. And the Holy Spirit, honestly, I believe it was his voice. I, I do. I believe I heard his voice. He said, no, you don't love me. I said, what do you mean I don't love you? He said, well, you didn't obey me. All those months ago, when I said to you, give that money to that pastor, and I went quiet because I knew I knew that little still, small, troubling voice that really got to the root and the heart of the matter. I said, oh, Holy Spirit. I'm, I mean, I couldn't do without his presence just like you. I needed that connection. I needed that relationship with him. I said, Holy Spirit, I'm really sorry. I am really sorry. I will give, I will give the money to, to that pastor. And the Holy Spirit just very simply said, no. He said, no, I don't want you to give that money to him now. He said, I want you to empty your bank account to him. My God, I tell you now, it's best to obey God the first time. It really is. Oh, yeah. He's wonderful, the Lord. He really knows how to test your faith. No, I want you to empty your bank account to, to him. I thought, my God, how am I going to pay the bills? 
Like, I mean, I'm in a foreign country. How am I going to pay the bill? I got bills. I've got, I got rent to pay. I got food to buy. I'll have to go on a prolonged fast. Do you know what? I knew, honestly, I mean, there's no way, there is no way that I would have thought of that. I mean, empty your bank account, you've got to be crazy. <laughs> you've got to be mad. Yeah, empty. So anyway, I went up there, man, and I emptied that bank account. I, I may have left, a, you know, one or two pound in there just because to keep the account open. I didn't close the account, but I emptied that account. And, and um, I just gave it anonymously. I, I, sent, I gave it anonymous, uh, anonymously to that pastor. Well, a month went by, and I really needed money. I really, I mean, and I, I can remember it. I tell you now, I can remember it. I was washing the dishes, something that I don't do very often. Washing the dishes and drying them. And I just said this, Lord, I need 100 pounds. And just carried on wa washing the dishes. Do you know, the next day, the next, I was in South Africa. I walked into Bible school. A, a lady came up to me, right? And um, she gave me an envelope. She said, that's for you. I opened it. There was a hundred pounds in it, right? A hundred pounds in South African rand that had been sent from somebody in this church three months before. And it had come bang on time. Bang on time. God will do it. God will do it. He'll look after you. He'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Money doesn't have to be our God. Enjoy it. Thank God for it. But don't be afraid to give it away. Don't be afraid to tithe into the local church. Don't be afraid to go out and, and just bless somebody when they're, when, when they're at the till and they haven't got much money and you don't know them. Just buy their shopping for them. Just go ahead and be generous. You can. Why? Because God will provide. God will bless them. Take people out for meals. Take people out and bless them and be generous and be abundant because that's the life in you. Don't let money be a funnel to your generosity. God's life is in you and he'll provide. Now, don't go and do crazy things, right? Be wise. But... Listen to his voice and obey. We've all got Isaacs. Could be a home. Oh, my God. Listen, I thank God for my home. Me and Fadu, he's done, he's done miracles for us, without a doubt. But I'm telling you now, my home is not going to be an idol. I want people in my home. I want my home to be to be a place where people can be blessed. I don't I, whether I know them or whether I don't know them. I, Faye and I, as far as we're concerned, we want it to be a refuge and a blessing to the people of God and to people that don't know God. I don't want it to be a gift that becomes bigger than the God who gave it. So today, you may be at a place where you know you're holding too tightly onto that Isaac. It could be your car. I can't, I can't pick anybody up in this car. It might get dirty. Listen, it's only a vehicle. It's only a means to an end to get people into the house of God, to pick them up and, and take them to Connect Group. It's a means. Use it. Don't let it ever become bigger than the God who gave it. 
there's a million and one things. And I'm not going to continue, you know, continue on through them. There's a million and one things. What is the Isaac that you're holding on to? Thank God for it. But as you release it, listen, as you release it, you will get a revelation of the provision of God in a way that you've never known. Verse 13 says this, and this really is what it was all about. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. The ram was the sign of a king. Jesus would later say that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. This was a whole experience and encounter for Abraham to see Jesus Christ, God's provision for his people and the rest of humanity by the sacrifice of what he held dear to him. God made a way where there was no way. I'm going to pray right now. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to strengthen us. The gifts that we hold in our hands for them never to become bigger than the God who gave them, but for them to be used as a means to glorify Him. Father, I thank You for Your precious people. I thank You for each one of them. You know our needs. Lord, some of us are still waiting for our Isaac to arrive. Some of us are still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Some of us don't even have an Isaac yet. We know that you've promised. We know that you will fulfill, but still we're in this waiting moment, being patient and in hope, against hope. Just like Abraham, we believe that you are the God of the impossible. Father, I pray for each and every one of your people. I pray, Lord, that you would provide for those who are waiting for that Isaac. I pray that it would arrive, the fulfillment of a promise. For others that are, are enjoying the fulfillment of a promise in having their Isaac provided by you, Lord, let us never hold the gift so tightly that it becomes bigger than the God that gave it. Let us always have that heart, we pray, of here I am ready to do your will and to do it your way. Lord, I pray that we would understand and know this place of reverence for your voice, above all voices, to hold your word high above every word and desire that we might have. And Lord, if some of us are being challenged to loosen our hold on the gifts that you've given and release them to bless others and surrender them, Lord, I pray that you would direct and instruct us as your people in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Dan's going to come and lead us. Have you been blessed by God's word this morning?
Hallelujah. Come on. Let's give him praise. We thank you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.